All right, well, welcome. Um, if you are just listening to the podcast, you are listening to a step further, and I want to welcome you back or welcome you for the first time. If you're watching the video, there's a video podcast to this or the video version of this. So if you're watching that, you are obviously on New Start Ministry with Jason Vandermark. Um, so if you're listening on the podcast a step further and you'd like to see the video, hop on over to YouTube. Uh, search for New Start Ministry with Jason Vandermark, and you should be able to find me there. Hit the subscribe button, um, and if you're watching, definitely like, comment, share, whatever you need to do. I would love to hear from you. I would love to pray for you. I would love to, you know, whatever it takes. Um, and by doing the like, the comment, and the share, and all that stuff that you know everybody asks on YouTube, kind of gets that video out there. It kind of gets my ministry out there on YouTube. So. Doing that kind of really helps me out a little bit. And so I guess that's a shameless way for me to say, please help. Anyway, <clears throat> Sunday, um, and now I, I should say this, like not every week am I going to do the Step Further podcast on video format. Um, there are just some messages that are so, they're all important, but some messages just really stick out, and I there's there are things that I want to put out there on my own ministry page, and this is one of them. Um, I felt like I wasn't even sure what Sunday was going to be like, to be honest with you. Um, I wasn't sure what the message was going to be like until much later in the week, and then finally, uh, the the idea came. These uh, three words, and. So the three words that I want to give you, I'm going to give it to you a little bit later on. Uh, so if you didn't listen to Sunday message, um, just hang tight. The three words, I'll, I'll get it later on. If you listen to Sunday's message, or Sunday's message already, um, then you know the three words. And this is really more just not only a reiteration, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the message itself. So <clears throat> I ask people on Sunday, and I'll ask you if you're listening or watching the video um, are do you are I ask how many people were farmers and then gardeners or, you know something like that where they either have a field that they tend to they have a garden that they tend to um, where they're planting or you know whatever the case is whether it's flowers or vegetables or you know beans corn wheat you know you name it um, so I'm, I'm asking that question and the question I have for you is. What do you need to do before you actually plant the seed? And the answer is you get out there into the field, right? And not only do you uh, work the field, but you fertilize it. You know, you work the soil, you get everything ready and prepped so that you can plant that seed uh, or those seeds rather. And then hopefully you have a good harvest then when harvest time comes. So once you've planted the seed, you have two options. The first option is that your work is complete and you can sit back and you can go, okay, the rest is by chance. If it rains, great. If I get the sunshine when I need the sunshine, great. You know, and and hopefully my harvest will be good this year or hopefully my garden will yield great crop or great flowers or great whatever this year, uh, whatever it looks like. Uh, hopefully, hopefully things will happen. Or you can get out there, once you've planted the seed, you can get out there and at different times you can see the work through to its completion. 
And the the first chance, it's, it's a big risk, by the way, just taking things on chance. So just sitting still and doing nothing. It's a big risk um, to see that that comes into fruition. However, the second option, getting out there and actually seeing the work through to its fruition, you have a better chance of, of seeing the harvest and, and seeing more of a harvest, rather, uh, you know, whether it's getting out there and watering the flowers or miracle grow or, you know, whatever the case is, <clears throat> but constantly getting out there, checking the field. I mean, you can only do so much, obviously, but you're, the goal is that you see the work through to its completion. So those two options are out there. And I want you to keep that in mind because there's a spiritual implication for what I'm about to say to you, uh, the message that I'm about to give you. In order to get us started, though, uh, and, and in order to introduce these three words, I want to take us to Daniel 9. I love, love, love the book of Daniel. And I don't know why other than it, I got into it when I was studying end time stuff. And studying end time stuff leads you, it really should lead you all over the Bible. But many scholars stick with um, Daniel and Revelation. And that those are the two main books that seem to hinge on end time stuff. Uh, and so studying Daniel, I grown, I had grown to really love the book of Daniel and to just kind of see what Daniel was all about and to study it. And and I've told you kind of my testimony with, with um, end time studies and how I was never really satisfied with what was out there and learning with what the scholars have been teaching for years. So uh, some things just didn't sit right in my spirit. And so I've been praying about that. Um, I had been praying about that. <clears throat> and really the Lord told me, you know, go back. If you want to know the end, you got to go back to the beginning. You really want to understand the end, you got to go back to the beginning. And when you do that, you realize that the whole book of the Bible really points to, uh, it's it's all one story, number one. But you can see the beginning and the end in the Bible. Like you can see... It all makes sense when you when it's collectively one story and and as you begin to look at through that lens, like if I could, for example, if I could take the whole Bible and bring it down to maybe one thought and one sentence or maybe one paragraph, it would be this: that God created the heavens and the earth, and when God created the heavens and the earth, He did so so that all of His creation would worship Him, not just humans, but animals and everything else. And listen, you might be going, God created animals to worship him. Listen, yeah, I mean, you guys have, I'm sure some of you have pets. It's not beyond your mind's reach to think, you know what, I have this pet and this pet is my pet. Um, it looks to me as its parent and I love to care for it. And not only do I love to care for it, but I love that it loves me in return. I love how loyal it is to me in return, right? That's what we do with our pets. <clears throat> And so with that in mind, you know, you think, um, God, if, if we can have that mindset with pets, then of course God can say, look, I created these things for my glory and it does bring worship to me. So God created all things to be in a relationship with him, to worship him so for his glory. And that's, that's what that's about. And then there's an enemy that's out there who is willing to, or not willing to, he, he longs to keep you from that relationship with God. And he will do anything by any means necessary to keep you from that relationship with God. 
whether it's deception, lies, um, you know, getting you to focus on uh, other things, distractions, um, you know, you name it. He will do anything. He will use anything to keep you from that relationship with God, which means he, he is obviously responsible for deceiving man so that sin could come into the world so that there could be a separation between God and man. And it also means that any way in which we could be perfect in the eyes of God, we can't do it ourselves. So what did God have to do? God had to send his son so that his son could live. Now, I say that um, I believe that Jesus is the image of of the uh, invisible father. So in other words, that when God, when we say God sent his son, I believe that God himself came in the form of man to this earth. He lived uh, among his people and he experienced life the way his people experienced life, the burdens and all that, the way that they experienced life. He experienced the temptations and all that, yet he went to his death without sin. However, he took that sin and he took those diseases and he put them on himself and he took them to the cross so that they would die. He took the penalty for our sins. So even though he didn't have any sin, he took the penalty for our sin, the consequences of our sin, and he took it to the cross. So with that in mind, um, we see the need for a Messiah because we can't do it ourselves. So it brings us back then into a relationship with God. Okay, so let's talk about Daniel now. So Daniel is someone who's in, they're in the midst of a Babylonian exile. So all this stuff has been taking place. Um, the kingdom of Israel had divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom of Israel, then you had the southern kingdom of Judah. They each had their own king, respectively. And then what would happen is it just got progressively worse. They got, they got doing outside influence, outside practices for their worship. All that stuff was coming in. They were worshiping not only God, but they were worshiping other gods, and they were doing it in ways that were not honoring or pleasing to God whatsoever. Uh, For example, they would offer up their children, their firstborns, as a sacrifice. And that's not something that God commanded, but they would do that. They would take them, and and you can research it. Research um, Molech is is the the god Molech, or he's a a Baal god. It's Baal worship, B-A-A-L. Uh, research that sometime, and it will. If you haven't researched it, when you do research it, it will open your eyes to to things, and, and you'll go, "Oh my gosh!" But they were they were doing these outside practices. And you're going, to, oh, "How could they do that?" But it got so progressively worse that God warned them, "Listen, if you don't turn from your wicked ways, I am going to send somebody in, and he's going to destroy Jerusalem." And he's going to exile the people of Israel out. So what happens? They didn't turn from their wicked ways. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes in. He destroys the city and he exiles the people out. That's a historical thing you can look up if you don't, you know, because I don't want to just say, well, the Bible says, because uh, it did happen in history that there was a king of Babylon. He did come into the land and he did disperse the people. He did destroy the city. And so they're in this exile, and Daniel is pondering, he's meditating on on words that have been handed down um, 
he's pondering specifically Jeremiah, the words of Jeremiah, and you can read it in the 29th chapter. Understand that they didn't have chapter numbers or verse numbers back then, so this was just all one message to Daniel, but he's considering Jeremiah and Jeremiah's words that God promised that they would go into a 70-year exile, but he says, and, and again, you can read about it in the 29th chapter, if or when they would seek him and seek him wholeheartedly after the 70 years, he's going to reverse that exile. So it's about 69 or so years into it, and Daniel's going, hey, you know, it's getting time here. So Daniel decides he's going to get on his knees and he's going to pray. Which, by the way, I think is probably something that we as Americans should do. We should probably, we should, I mean, we, <clears throat> anyway, I don't think I have to go further. But the whole point is, Daniel began to confess his sins. He began to confess the sins of his people. And as he's doing so, uh, the Bible says that the angel Gabriel came and began to give an answer to Daniel, number one, and also begin to give instruction and to begin to pour out some wisdom on Daniel. And so it says uh, in verse 24, it says this, Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Okay, that's important. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and for your holy city. And here's what's going to happen. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, this is a very... End time scholars really like to use 70 weeks, this whole 70 weeks passage, and I'm not going to get into the the differences that I have with them in this. Um, hopefully, you know, if you're watching this video, you're on New Start Ministry. Um, hopefully, I'm going to do a Daniel study. I have that in my mind. I've been praying about it to see if that's what if that's what I need to be doing. But I have it in my mind to do a Daniel study, and and I can talk a little bit more about it then. But the thing that I want to focus on is the fact that he says 70 weeks have been decreed. And in that 70 weeks, this is what has to happen before the 70 weeks are up. There has to be a finish to transgression, an end of sin, an atonement for iniquity, and an everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Now, you might be out there thinking, this is why people say that the 70 weeks are are not up. Because... It doesn't look like sin has been taken care of. It doesn't look like the atonement has been made. It doesn't look like everlasting righteousness was brought in. It doesn't look like vision and prophecies. And we're talking about vision and prophecy in the Old Testament. So in the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, um, because that's what they would have had then, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. It doesn't look like those things have happened. And so uh, you can read the rest of it, and I'm not going to go into the rest of it, but um, this is what I want to say to you is that it actually did happen. Jesus was the one to make it happen, and it happened at the cross. So the reason transgression was finished it was because Jesus went to the cross. The reason that the sin was came to its end was because of the cross. The reason... For an atonement was at the cross. 
for iniquity. The reason to bring in everlasting righteousness was because Jesus went to the cross. The reason that vision and prophecy get sealed up is because Jesus said this, everything, the law and the prophets, all of it points to me. So what Jesus is talking about is everything in the in what we consider the Old Testament. The Hebrew, uh, they consider it, they call it the Tanakh. Real quick, uh, the reason they call it Tanakh is because um, it's a kind of, what do they call it, an anagram? Is that what they call those? Where it's like you have letters that represent words. <clears throat> so Tanakh in Hebrew is... It's in English. It's T N K, but it stands for um, Torah. Is the T uh, the N is Nevi'im, I believe, which is um, the prophets, and then the Ketuvim, which is the writings. So, like Job or Jonah, you know, Esther, those types of things, um, the stories in the Bible. But everything Jesus said, all of that. In the Tanakh, the the Torah, the law, the prophets, all of that points to me, is what he said. So to seal up vision and prophecy and then to anoint the most holy place. The only way to anoint anything was in that regard is the blood. So Jesus poured out his blood. And I believe somewhere in the in the gospels it says that his blood ran through the streets of the city. <clears throat> so anyway, anointing the most holy place. It all happened at the cross. But you say, it doesn't look like sin was taken care of. It doesn't look like anything's happened. It doesn't look like anything's moving in that, in, in any, like it, if he did it, well then why do we see this? But I promise you that he did do it. And if we go to Isaiah 53, I'll show you, because I'm not sure that some of you are sitting there going, uh I don't know, Jason. I don't know that the 70 weeks were completed at the cross. But this is what it says in Isaiah 53. It says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord being Jesus. It says, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 11, says that he is the, the root of Jesse. He's the offspring of Jesse, so he's the shoot. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor the appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. 
And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, that's important, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was uh, with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded with the transgressors. So when I read that, that's Isaiah 53. That is a prophecy of Jesus going to the cross. And I go back to Daniel 9, and it says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people, for your holy city, to finish the transgression. What did we read in Isaiah 53? He took on our transgression. He made an end of sin. He made atonement for our iniquities. And he brought in everlasting righteousness. It seals up vision and prophecy, because he did it. He seals up vision and prophecy, and he anoints the most holy place. He removes the curse from the ground. And then it says, and it goes on in verse 25, You're to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem till Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, so 69 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after 60, the 62 weeks... Uh, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. So remember, he's, uh, he was cut off from the land of the living. He cut off and have nothing. The people of a prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. And even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until... A complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. It's interesting, though, that Jesus, technically speaking, I just want to throw this out there for all the end-time people studying. Uh, Verse 27 says, He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. It's interesting that Jesus himself, when he went to the cross, remember Jesus said to the people, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And he says he will see, talking about his body, that Jesus himself became the temple. But it's interesting that in doing so, when you destroy the temple, that what happens is the sacrifices have to stop. And actually, when you go back to when Jesus was on the cross, It says the temple veil was torn in two, and it exposed the fact that there really was, like, if you were to look in the the, um, Holy of Holies, all the elements that needed to be there were not there, Uh, namely the Ark of the Covenant, because the Ark of the Covenant, it's believed that the Ark of the Covenant was actually hidden in Jeremiah's time before the first temple was destroyed. So really... All the sacrifices and all that had to be stopped anyway. Uh, But Jesus himself, because he made the ultimate sacrifice, puts an end to... I'm just saying that this is interesting, so don't 
please don't message me yet um, about end time stuff. But I'm just saying it's interesting that Jesus himself puts an end to sacrifice because he is the ultimate sacrifice. He made the atonement. He did everything required by the law so that you and I can have that relationship with God. So what's the goal then? Like you're, I'm saying all this stuff to you. What's the goal? What's the three words? Then the three words are found in John 19. And the three words, we're going to start with verse 29. So Jesus was, um, well, let me start with verse 28. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill Scripture, said, I'm thirsty. Those are not the three words, uh, although they are three words. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Those are the three words. It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. After Jesus knowing, after this, Jesus knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill scripture. So everything spoken about in Daniel 70 weeks there, up, up to the point of this, the city being destroyed, all of that was fulfilled. It was done. The 70 weeks were over. Everything that needed to happen was taken care of. All things had been accomplished to fulfill Scripture. Jesus said, it is finished. Now, what's important about that? Because again, you're probably sitting there going, the world is still full of sin. The world is still full of all of these evil things. So now what? When I first started this message, I asked who was a farmer, who was a gardener. And when you, you know, you do all the work leading up to planting the seed, but then after you plant the seed, I said you had two options. You can either take it on by chance, sit still and do nothing, take it on by chance. Um, or you can see the work to it through to its completion. If you want to take it on by chance, no problem. The work is finished. But from that point on until the time of harvest, something has to happen. The work is finished. The seeds are planted. Everything is finished. We have the responsibility now to take that work and, number one, receive it. So we need to receive that love that that God gave us. That God said, you know what? I know that you can't uphold. I know you can't be perfect on your own. I know that you can't uphold the law. Anything that would cause you to be righteous, you can't do it on your own. So I'm going to I'm going to do it for you. That God would love us so much that he would come down, experience life with us and that he would give up his life for us. He would go through death, the pain of death, the scourging, all that stuff for us so that we would not have to have the penalty of our sins. That he would take all that on for us. So our responsibility is to receive that, but then our responsibility is to take that into the world so that other people can receive that love as well. 
You want sin to end in this world. You want bad to end in this world. If you want the world to change, they have to receive the love. Look, this is what I've learned about love as far as, you know, and and again, I'm 40 years old. I'll be 41 this year. Um, And so it's not, I mean, I'm not old. I'm not young. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. But what I've come to realize enough, I've been around enough, at least long enough, to know that we give love the way that it's been given to us. So that's why the Bible is very explicit on the fact that God loved us first. You didn't choose God first. God chose you first. And he poured out his love into you first so that you would take that love and that you would take it into the world and so that others can experience that love too. It's a selfless love. It's a real, rich, true, beautiful love that God would be so selfless enough to to pour out his life for us and to experience all the bad things that he experienced. You can read about it again in Isaiah 53. You can read about it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But that he would do that for us so much so because he loved us that we would take that love and go into the world and that other people might receive that love too. And I understand, you know, it's a crazy world out there. It doesn't seem like people want to hear what we've got to say, but people want to experience what we've got to give them. I promise you that there is a love out there. People are hungry for love. People are hungry for to feel loved, to be loved. We're all hungry for that. And so we will only give love the way that we've been given love. And if we haven't experienced that love from God, that real, true, selfless love, it's going to be hard to give that love to anybody else. It's going to be hard to show that love to anybody else. But yet God gave it to us, so our first response is to receive that love. That's part of the work. The work is finished, but our responsibility is to receive that love and then to take it out, so that one day the harvest is ready. Jesus said the harvest is is uh, ripe, it's ready, but the workers are few. And we are called to go out. We're called to be workers. That's what we're called to do. Jesus, Jesus did the work. He did the planting. He did everything that was required. We, we have to receive it, and we have to take it out. Now, if you're going, I don't know, I don't know about Jesus. I don't know about any of this stuff. I'm just not certain about it. I understand that. Um, I understand it's a lot of knowledge that you have to take on faith. But think about it. You read your science book in school, and you take that knowledge on faith. You weren't there, right? You haven't. You didn't do the tests yourself. You didn't do the experiments yourself. You didn't do have the technology yourself to do those things. You take what somebody else has given you on faith. Um, Your history books, you weren't there. You know, you don't have a time machine to go back. You weren't there in history. So you have to take a history book at its word. You have to take it on faith if it's true. And listen, history books and all that can be manipulated. Science can be manipulated. Uh, let Let me rephrase that the facts or the, um, uh, what's the word I want to look for? Like when you do experiments, the, the, the results, all that, that can be manipulated. Facts can be skewed. 
everything can be skewed, but yet we take that information on faith that it's true. This is something we're going to have to take on faith that it's true too. And that's part of being in a relationship with God, that we trust him, that he said he, he is who he says he is, and he did what he said he did. And he will do what he says he will do. So if you're out there and you're skeptical, my prayer is that you will listen to this and, and at the very least, do me one favor. Pray to God and say, Lord, you, if you are real, I invite you right now to speak to me. I invite your Holy Spirit to speak to me and show me truth. I invite you to do that, to change my heart in some way. Show me that you're real. Make that prayer. And God might not, you might not feel anything right in the moment, but I promise you that God will eventually reveal himself to you. I promise you he will. And I think once that happens, once you experience that from God, um, know and understand that he wants to have a relationship with you and he wants to pour out his love to you. He wants to give you that love. But he wants you to not only receive it, but to take it out into the world from that point on. Uh, it's an amazing responsibility. It is not a have to. It's a desire and a heart. And um, I pray that you would have that desire. I really do. Um, and it doesn't have to look like being a pastor. It doesn't have to look like standing on a corner with a megaphone and preaching, hey, the end is near, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't look, have to look like that. All it has to look like, it could look like helping somebody. It could look like opening the door for somebody. It could look like praying for somebody. It could look like just listening to somebody. It could look like being a friend. Um, that people see something different in you. I think it was St. Francis of Assisi that said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. So even our own actions, the way that we present ourselves in the world, they should, people should look at us and go, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but you're not like the other people. So that's my prayer for you. I pray that you would just take this message, pray about it, see how the Lord speaks to you in it. But I also pray that um, you would take the gospel, that you would receive the gospel, and that you would take it into the world um, like we're called to do as well. I love you. I hope to see you someday on a Sunday morning, Ayersville Community Church, um, 930. Um, <clears throat> if you can't make it, I would encourage you to watch Facebook Live, and then we're going to take those videos and upload them to YouTube after. Um, what else? A uh, step further. You're on a step further listening to this podcast. Definitely, if you're watching the video, um, I definitely encourage you to to go subscribe to the podcast. I'm not going to do a video podcast each week with a step further, um, just certain weeks that I feel led to. And then also, if you're just listening to the podcast, I would encourage you to jump over to New Start Ministry with Jason Vandermark and subscribe to that because I'll be doing some other things. Like I said, I'd love to do a Daniel study. Um, we'll see what happens with that. Um, I just have been having that in my mind, so I'm kind of praying about that and seeing what's going to happen with that. Um, otherwise I hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving. I hope that you get to be with the ones you love for Thanksgiving. I hope that, uh, this week just brings you much joy and peace and happiness. I love you. And I hope that you have an amazing week.